We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. Gonna take it On 23-24 May 1940, a final stop order was imposed on the Panzers, the last one for the Operation Sickle Cut campaign before it was concluded. Time would reveal that the consequences of the various stop orders were disastrous for Adolf Hitler. But there's always a silver lining in every cloud, as they say, and that was that the miracle at Dunkirk that these allowed were a blessing for Germany and the rest of the world. One of the most intriguing questions about the very last halt order is, what was the motivation? Is it the extraordinary reason that Karl-Heinz Freiser suggests in his book Blitzkrieg Legend? I believe that Hitler was such an extraordinary personality that Freiser's idea about why Hitler did what he did in the last days of Operation Sicklecut can't be ruled out. Whatever else, the conduct of Adolf Hitler during the last few days of the Sicklecut campaign set the tone for what was to come in all German military operations until his death in the final act of suicide in the Berlin bunker in April 1945. The famous or infamous halt order, the one that all the experts talk about, was issued at 12.45 hours on 24 May 1940 by the headquarters of Army Group A. It was this order, the final stop order, of many made by Hitler and the top German generals since the German campaign in the West had opened on 19 May, just a fortnight before, forcing a further halt on the advance of the Panzers that was the final straw in robbing Germany of a victory that would have won them World War II. I'll discuss that later. Read. On orders of the Führer, the attack to the east of Arras is to be continued with 8th Corps and to the northwest 2nd Corps in cooperation with the left wing of Army Group B. On the other hand, the general line lens Bethune Air Saint-Omer Grave Lines Canal Line will not be crossed northwest of Arras. On the western wing, instead, the important thing is to get all mobile units to close up and to force the enemy to run into the mentioned favorable defense line. So let's talk about how this halt order came to be made. By 24 May, the punces were within 15 Kilometres of Dunkirk, Boulogne and Calais had fallen. This port then was the only escape route left to the one million British, French and Belgian armies trapped in this massive pocket, the greatest of World War II. Most of the Allied soldiers were at that time a hundred kilometres away from Dunkirk, 
that were being hard-pressed by Army Group B. They had nothing to fight off the Panzers to their rear. They were then at the gates of Dunkirk. All was lost, or it should have been. British Chief of the Imperial General Staff, General Sir Edmund Ironside, said on 25 May 1940, We shall have lost practically all our trained soldiers by the next few days, unless a miracle happens to help us. Karl-Heinz Freiser, in his book Blitzkrieg Legend, says what happened next. Then one of the strangest episodes in the military history of the 20th century took place. The miracle of Dunkirk, with incredulous astonishment, Allied soldiers discovered that the German panzers had suddenly come to a halt, as if stopped by magic. On 23 May, the controlling mind of Army Group A, Gerd von Rundstedt, and his conservative chief of staff, General Georg von Sondenstern, hand-picked for that very quality by Franz Halder, were worried. Remember, Franz Halder, the chief of staff of the Wehrmacht High Command, had chosen Sodenstern to replace the man that he then viewed as the troublesome Erich von Manstein, who was pushing this crazy sickle-cut plan. But soon after he had been replaced, Halder was himself won over to the sickle-cut plan. In fact, more and more so. By the time of the Russian campaign, Halder was embracing Manstein's blitzkrieg ideas so enthusiastically that he and the previously conservative generals of the 1940 campaign in France massively overreached. The reason that this last controversial halt order came about can be traced back to a message sent by General Edvard von Kleist to Army Group A, also received by the general under whose command he now was, General Gunther von Klug, the commander of the 4th Army. Following the British counterattack at Arras, the German higher command and the Führer reacted by forcing the deployment of elements of the Panzer divisions to screen the German flank from the expected 1940 version of the Miracle on the Marne, a decisive and fatal flank attack which would rob the Germans of victory just as had happened in September 1914. Now, with his Panzer divisions being spread to meet this non-existent threat of a counter-attack, Kleist reported to Army Group A headquarters, Following the losses suffered during the past 14 days of fighting, particularly in terms of tanks, which amount to more than 50%, the group is no longer strong enough to mount an attack to the east against strong enemy forces. If enemy attacks in major strength then I would like to note for the record that the Panzer divisions are little suited for defence. As Guderian said of General von Kleist before the campaign began, up to now had not shown himself particularly well disposed to the armoured force. Guderian was right and nothing had changed. He was supported by even the newest convert to the Panzer forces, Halder, who was of the same mind as Guderian. Halder made fun of Kleist because Kleist felt that he could not tackle his task, and Halder downplayed the risks in view of the magnitude of his task. Halder would not even allow Panzer losses, 
which were not nearly as heavy as Kleist seemed to believe, to excuse the resumption of the advance of the Panzers. But Kleist's boss, von Klug, however, was in sympathy with von Kleist. It was a matter of traditional military linear thinking that everyone in the world followed in May 1940, except for the Panzer generals and Halder. Von Klug's command, the 4th Army, changed beyond recognition from what it had been at the beginning of the campaign. Perhaps Halder thought it was all too much for the general to handle. Von Klug now had command of all of his original infantry divisions and two Panzer divisions that had made up his army on 10th May, plus the further newly allocated eight Panzer divisions and six motorised divisions. At 1640 hours, von Klug, in discussion with his superior von Rundstedt, suggested that the Panzer units on his left wing should be halted to allow the infantry divisions to aufschleisen, close up. Rundstedt later explained his mood at the time. He said, I was worried that Kleist's weak forces would be overrun by the fleeing English. Rundstedt's conservative, traditional chief of staff, Soddenstone, was of a like mind. He said, it was not a good thing to assess the situation too optimistically. The same pessimism and fear that was gripping the higher commands of Army Group A were not shared by General Bock, who commanded Army Group B. His army was then driving the beaten and dissolving Allied divisions in front of him. Full of sarcasm, he wrote in his diary about the flank fright of headquarters Army Group A. I had no worries of this sort whatsoever, if they were ever at all justified. They have become completely invalid since the 18th and 6th Armies got the English by the throat, making them just happy to escape with their lives. Helder's views were the same. He was receiving accurate intelligence reports from the Army Intelligence Service Foreign Armies West, and he had his own strong, positive sense of how the battle was going. He recorded that the situation was developing in an entirely satisfactory manner. There is no reason to expect any serious counter-attack from any direction, and no threat south of the Somme. Those views were very different to how von Rundstedt and his chief of staff were seeing the battle, unable to believe their own success. How different things would have been if Erich von Manstein had still been von Rundstedt's chief of staff. But he wasn't, and this pessimistic view of the fighting was in part down to Halder's replacement, Sondenstern, who was seeing things in exactly the way that Halder had expected that he would. Von Rundstedt completely agreed with von Klug's assessment and issued the following order. In other words, the right wing and the centre are to be pushed forward, the rest are to close up, infantry divisions are to be advanced. At 2000 hours, von Klug issued the close-up order to the 4th Army to take effect on 24 May. Only the 2nd and 8th Corps on the right wing of his army, comprised purely of infantry divisions, were allowed to continue to attack east of Arras. The orders for the Panzer Group's 
Kleist and Hoth were to halt so that they could make all preparations for continuing the attack on 25 May. The halt was not actually anything new. The Panzers had been halted by the orders issued by von Klug and von Rundstedt on 23rd May in the panic that followed the British counterattack at Arras, but it did extend the time of the halt. How did this go down with the Panzer generals? Reinhardt couldn't believe these orders. He wanted to exploit the moment. His Panzer formations were then facing what he called only weak, quickly moved up enemy forces. He informed his superiors that any stopping could only help the enemy. His reconnaissance was telling him that the enemy was, right then, in the process of moving up fresh formations to block his advance. To strengthen his defences and under their protection to move the bulk of his troops to the ports for embarkation. Panzerkorps Guderian's war diary recorded the view that the new order would practically discard the attack concept such as it had been used until now. Now it appears essential to push toward Dunkirk, the last major port, whose fall would make the encirclement complete. But that attack has, for the moment, been shelved? If anyone should have been fearful of a decisive enemy blow to their flanks, it was the front-line divisions. But they weren't worried. Instead, they were frustrated at being held back. The war diary of the 6th Panzer Division recorded, In contrast to combat operations in the past, the tempo of the advance dictated by operational considerations has become slower than the tactical conditions would have permitted. The division could have attacked out of the bridgehead it had been able to win with full force at dawn on 24 May against an inferior enemy to the east. With Halder and von Brauchitz fully on board now with the full-blooded blitzkrieg concept of war, this putting on of the brakes by Army Group A was more than they could bear. Halder recorded in his diary, the developments of the past few days shows that Army Group A is indeed experiencing considerable difficulties in managing this unwieldy mass of 71 divisions. I have a good idea its staff has not been energetic and active enough. Now, during World War II, you're about to see something that you're never going to see again. Von Prouchitz had, up to this point, allowed Halder to run things, but at midnight on 23-24 May, undoubtedly fired up by the stunning success that he could see was beckoning the Germans with a victory that was unimaginable, Brauchitz himself intervened, and decisively. Army Group A now received a telephone order from Army High Command. The 4th Army was transferred from Army Group A to Army Group B, with effect from 2000 hours on 24 May. Von Rundstedt, who had had all of the German panzer divisions under his command, would, once that order went into effect, have none. His role was reduced to flank protection along the Somme River, a mission that seemed to have become his entire focus in any event. Halder was basically in favour of this decision by Brachich, but he could rightly see that there were difficulties in implementing this right in the middle of the battle. 
the most serious and obvious difficulty was that Army Group B didn't have any well-established communications to the Panzer troops that were about to be moved over to its command. On the morning of the next day, 24th May, before these new orders had taken effect, Adolf Hitler visited Rundstedt's headquarters to discuss the further employment of the Panzer Force with him. He was astonished to learn that Rundstedt was to turn over the 4th Army with all its Panzer divisions and motorised divisions to Army Group B and was to be no longer responsible for Dunkirk but only for the Somme sector. These orders had been issued without Hitler's approval and even without his knowledge. But note, there was no reason why Hitler's approval was needed. That was not how the German army had operated since the defeat of Prussia by Napoleon in 1807. But that didn't matter now. Hitler was about to tear up those rules. That was not the way that Hitler wanted the army to operate, independently. On the spot, he declared the orders from the army high command to be null and void. Hitler said that he fully and entirely agree with your, that's Rundstedt's, pessimistic situation estimate, because it is entirely identical to my thoughts. The famous Holt Order of Dunkirk, which I set out at the beginning of this program, was issued by Headquarters Army Group A at 12.45. From the German Army chain of command point of view, this created a remarkably odd, but very Hitler, very Nazi, situation. After the war, von Rundstedt tried to put all the blame on Hitler, as if Hitler had forced the Holt order on him. The blame for this rests in only on Hitler and not on me, as Mr. Churchill maintains in his memoirs. After all, in the end, I had to obey Hitler's orders, which he kept repeating over and over again. In reality, the Holt order issued that day by Adolf Hitler merely confirmed and continued the Alf Schleisen close-up order that von Rundstedt had already issued himself the day before, and that order was originally supposed to have applied only to 24 May. Hitler expressly gave von Rundstedt freedom of action, as the Führer's army aide Engel noted, surprised at such an extraordinary order. What this order meant, having a profound impact on the conduct of all military operations by Germany for the rest of the war will be considered in the next program. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you have any questions about anything in this program, maybe you could catch up with me for my guided tour at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum on Saturday morning starting at 10.30am. Probably the world's best guided tour of an armour and artillery museum, borrowing the Danish Kulzberg slogan for their beer. If you missed this program, you can catch up with it as a podcast on Spotify, Apple, and many other sites. Search for The Danger Zone, bracket, DZ, close bracket. And if you like this program, you'll definitely love my other program, CYKIAE, also available on the same podcast sites. <laughs>